The Guardian. Classifying species is a surprisingly complicated thing to do. It's also hotly debated, and there are many species that continue to puzzle scientists and spark disputes. Cryptic species present a particular challenge. These are animals, plants, and other organisms that seem to be the same to the human eye, but are, in fact, genetically distinct. As technologies to study genetics become more widespread, scientists are beginning to realise there may be many more cryptic species out there that we never knew about. But why does getting the classification right really matter? In last week's Age of Extinction episodes in Science Weekly, we looked at this question, ways scientists were tackling problems with classification and why it matters for the environment. If you haven't heard those episodes, I recommend going back and taking a listen. Now, a big announcement has shown why this work is so vital for conservation. The International Union for the Conservation of Nature, or the IUCN, has for the first time recognised the African elephant as two separate species, the African savannah elephant and the African forest elephant. The savannah elephant has long dominated our idea of what an African elephant is, roaming vast distances across grasslands and deserts. But hidden away in the rainforests of the Congo Basin, the African forest elephant is in crisis. Many scientists have recognised these two separate species over the last decades, and ironically, so have poachers, who have been going after the forest elephant's pink tusks, which are easier to carve into statues and trinkets. But with this official reclassification, the risks facing these two species is now being independently recognised, and it could signify better conservation for the forest elephants especially. Morphological, behavioural evidence has been mounting for years, suggesting that the animal should be split into two distinct species. It was classified under the single species as just vulnerable and increasing. And I said, if they looked at it as a, as a single species, it will be considered either endangered or critically endangered. Critically endangered is, is one step shy of extinction. And obviously, if you don't know it's a different species, if you don't recognize it, it's not going to be the focus of conservation. I'm Patrick Greenfield. You're listening to Science Weekly, and this is an Age of Extinction Extra. To find out more about why African elephants have been officially split into two distinct species, I spoke to Kathleen Gobush, the person who led the assessment. Would you mind explaining who you are, what you do and where you work? I am an elephant uh, specialist. I um, am a part of the IUCN African Elephant Specialist Group. IUCN is one of the oldest conservation organizations in the world, so has a strong reputation for best available science on species and their decline. Right now, I'm a lead assessor of the Red List Assessment Team for the two species of African elephants. Kathleen, can I ask, before we get into the technical details, how did elephants win your heart? I decided to dedicate my career to elephants when I was seven years old. In uh, This dates me a bit, but in the 80s, African elephants were suffering horrible poaching and it won my heart at that time. I just wanted to be a part of the solution and so have focused on that throughout my 
elementary schooling, college years, graduate school, and now. When I was seven growing up, I was told that there were two types of elephants. There was the African elephant and the Indian elephant. That's changed, as we're about to hear. But could you tell us what elephants in Africa are like? I've spent time, a lot of time with savanna elephants. Not so much time with forest elephants because they're cryptic, so you hear them more than you see them. In terms of savanna elephants, they have a big presence, which is pretty obvious, but when you're around them, all your attention is there. They can be very charismatic or comical, a little bit frightening at moments. It's a really amazing feeling. The only other time I've felt like that would be when I've been around whales, I guess. In terms of forest elephants, what's interesting there is, like I said, you hear them before you see them. So a lot of times when you start to hear them, you, you feel the need to get, get moving and get out of the way because, you know, your uh, sight line and your ability to move in the forest is different, of course, than it is on the savanna. Now, prior to the reclassification, what was the situation like for African elephants? I mean, as we speak officially under IUCN classifications, they're vulnerable. What does that mean? Prior, both species were considered or assessed as one. However, ecological, genetic, morphological, behavioral evidence has been mounting for years, suggesting that the animal should be split into two distinct species. So previously, when it was assessed as one, it was considered vulnerable. So that's vulnerable to the risk of extinction. And that was based on population decline data. And the data showed they were at a level that was high. It's threatened. That's what vulnerable, endangered, and critically endangered are. We're talking about threatened animals. With the vulnerability categorization, it's less than endangered. And so previously, the information, the data, the evidence was pointing to a vulnerability category. When, I mean, hopefully when I have a family in the future and I'm telling them now about the three types of elephants that they need to look out for, hopefully, what are the differences between a forest elephant and a savanna elephant? In terms of their geographical locations, that's, that's the biggest difference. Um, the forest elephant is in the Congo Basin forests of Africa, and savanna is in the northern savannas, the ones in East Africa and in Southern Africa. So it kind of hugs the forest region. The uh, Congo Basin is more central and West Africa. Savanna elephants inhabit a lot of different habitats, not just savannas. There's woodland, there's savanna, there's desert. Forest elephants adhere more closely to their forest biomes so the human tropical rainforests of Africa. In terms of morphology, there's a number of differences. The more time you spend with the two elephants, the more obvious it is. Of course, they're big and gray, and so easy to think that they're, they're very similar, but once you spend time with them, a lot of differences are noticeable. Forest elephants are smaller in stature, they have a different skull shaped. You could say it's uh, kind of domed. Their tusks tend to be straighter. And also some say they have a pink hue. Their ear shape is different. So 
Whereas the savannah elephant, they say, has a an ear the shape of Africa, if you've ever looked at one. The forest elephant has more of a rounded uh, shaped ear. So there's a, a lot of small differences um, that add up. Behaviorally, they're different. You could just imagine if you're living in an open savanna-type habitat, it's easier for congregating. And so the social congregation that elephants are famous for, you see bigger groups in savanna habitats. In the forest, there's still that sociality and bonds between individuals are still very important. Just group sizes tend to be smaller also, forest elephants, of course, are nowadays less numerically abundant than the savanna elephant. So for every three or four savanna elephants in the world, there's probably one forest elephant. Alongside the physical and behavioral differences Kathleen described, the key to truly understanding how different these species are lies in their genome. So I called an expert. Hello, Alfred. Would you mind explaining who you are and what you do? Sure, Patrick. My name is Alfred Roca. I'm a geneticist at the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign, and I've worked on African elephant genetics for the last uh, 25 years or so. Can you talk us through some of the, the kind of key papers um, that, that you've written about um, elephants, their genetics, and, and the impact that they've had? The most important one was my first one, which was in 2001, and that was in the journal Science. And what we did was we looked at a set of African elephants from more than 20 locations across their range. And then we looked at a number of tropical forest locations as well. And what we found was that there was a very substantial separation between the forest elephant uh, that lived in the tropical forests of Africa and the savanna elephants, which lives pretty much everywhere else except, uh, you know, the deserts, the Sahara Desert. The difference between them was several million years. So we thought there was good evidence for uh, speciation between the two. And we suggested recognizing the African forest elephant as a distinctive species from the savannah elephant. Uh, subsequent to that, we looked at mitochondrial DNA patterns, which turned out to be quite different. So mitochondrial DNA are only transmitted by female elephants to both offspring, but the males cannot transmit mitochondrial DNA. And so it's a it's sort of a marker for the, the female herds. So herds of elephants or, or core social groups are comprised of only females, ants, a matriarch, daughters, et cetera. Daughters remain with the herds. Uh, males sort of disperse out of the herds. And so males are responsible for gene flow, uh, except males, of course, cannot tr transmit the mitochondrial DNA. So we found a really, really distinctive pattern that is very reflective of geological events in the, in the history of Africa. And more recently, we've used this marker, this mitochondrial DNA marker, because it it's, uh, tends to stay localized because uh, males are doing the dispersing. We're trying to use it to help establish the origins of illegally poached ivory. Alfred, when I was growing up, I understood African elephants to be big, gray, but there was only one species, right? But listening to your answer there, the forest elephant and the savannah elephant, they've been distinct for millions of years. Right. How, how has this come to be? What, what, what happened? Actually, the forest elephant was named as a distinct species by a researcher named Machi, and that was in the year 1900. He was a German researcher working at the museum in uh, Berlin. And at the time, I think Germany was the uh, colonialist power in uh, 
in Cameroon, and it, there was an elephant brought from Cameroon to the Berlin Zoo. And Matsi sort of recognized that this was a distinctive type of elephant. And so he was the first one, but Machi was considered something of an oddball. He was considered a little bit unusual among scientists, among naturalists. And so he wasn't taken very seriously. It wasn't until the late 1920s that another researcher, this was a Portuguese re researcher named Fernando Frage, began arguing that all of these African elephant uh, uh, subspecies that had been named uh, actually fell into two distinctive groups. Frage did push for it for pretty much his whole career from the late 1920s to the early 1960s. He constantly argued that there are two species of elephant. But these differences were, were pretty much seen as qualitative. And because the two species do hybridize where they meet, um, that was seen as sort of evidence that they might be considered a single species. Back in the day, it was thought that species never hybridized. Of course, now we know in the genomics era, that species hybridize all the time. So this is not, not unusual. It wasn't until the year 2000 when uh, Groves and Grubb and colleagues, they published a survey. Uh, it was the first really good uh, scientific survey of variation among African elephants. And what they did was they went around the museums of the world that had collected samples. So the museums kept records of where the elephants were from. And they took uh, very precise uh, measurements of the skulls of the elephants. And what they found was they were able to completely discriminate between forest and savanna elephants. They were able to completely discriminate males and females within each species as well, because there's morphological differences based on sex. But the uh, most important thing was they were able to identify two very distinctive groups of elephants. They did find places where they hybridized, notably in Uganda, where they had a lot of samples. But that hybridization region was very, very slim region. You know, it was just the contact zone between the two. Then when we looked at the genetics, what we showed was that that hybridization region was actually not homogenizing the two types of elephants. So what you never find is uh, that there's movement of those genetic variants from the forest into the savanna or from the savanna into the forest. Uh, we have looked at the uh, degree of difference between the elephants. And we think they're roughly 5 million years apart. And that's comparable to the difference that folks estimate exists between humans and chimpanzees and 10 times greater than the difference between polar and brown bears. It sounds like the morphological science and the, the genetics, they, they've been quite clear for a while. Why has it taken so long for conservation organizations, NGOs, even governments to recognize the African elephants as two distinct species? That's like the $20,000 question on my end. I, I would have thought that they would have immediately recognized it and it immediately jumped at the opportunity to step up efforts to conserve the forest elephant. But uh, it's faced a lot of resistance. And I have seen in print in The Guardian, actually, some arguments I thought were sort of ridiculous. Uh, There's a Guardian article from six years ago where one of the uh, members of the... Uh, African elephant specialist group said that, among other things, forest elephants sometimes live in savannas, such as in central Gabon, and savanna elephants sometimes live in forests, such as in Mount Kenya. And to me, that's a silly argument. That's like saying that, you know, mountain lions sometimes don't live in the mountains. And so how can you consider them distinct species? There was also the question of the range of the forest and savanna elephants and where exactly one ended and the other began. I think part of it is, is inertia, but 
part of it is really very unfortunate because I think it took away from the conservation of the forest elephant as a species. I became convinced because you're talking 20 years that I've been uh, battling to have this recognized and 21 years since Groves, who did the morphological studies, began battling. Uh, Groves sadly passed away a few years ago before the two species were finally recognized uh, a week or so ago. But I actually thought they wouldn't recognize it in my lifetime. So in some ways they're ahead of schedule. By listing African elephants as two species, each needs to be evaluated separately to understand the risks they are facing. Back to Kathleen Gobbish, who led the project on assessing the elephants for their new IUCN classifications. How does the reclassification change our understanding of the state of African elephants, the two African elephant species, and the risks they're under? What this reclassification allows is dedicated attention to each animal, the forest elephant and the savanna elephant, and then to consider them in terms of conservation, to tailor those conservation plans and actions according to each species needs. So it's a real opportunity to fine tune our efforts. Also, because savanna elephants are more conspicuous, more of a tourist attraction, because you can see them, they're not hiding in the dense forest, they kind of dominate the conversation. So I'd like to say that this reclassification allows the forest elephant to come out of the shadows a bit and hopefully garner more conservation attention especially because it is critically endangered. So that is a steep rate of decline it's experienced and something, uh, a lot must be done to turn that around. I also asked Alfred about what difference it could make reclassifying the forest and savanna elephants. I think it will finally lead to recognition of the forest elephant and, and the grave threat that it's in. Uh, in 2008, it was unconscionable to consider them to be one species. And in 2008, they considered the single species, including the forest elephant, as vulnerable but increasing in population. There was a study showing that during that time, roughly 2002 to 2010, Africa lost 62% uh, of its forest elephants. So it was losing 62% of its forest elephants in 2008 but it was classified under the single species as just vulnerable and increasing. And I said, if they looked at it as a, as a single species, it will be considered either endangered or critically endangered. Critically endangered is, is one step shy of extinction. And obviously, if you don't know it's a different species, if you don't recognize it, it's not going to be the focus of conservation. Worst thing about that assessment in 2008 was the reason they gave for listing it as vulnerable and increasing was that the increase in the population in Eastern and Southern Africa would more than make up for any loss of elephants in Central or West Africa. Well, Central or West Africa is where the forest elephants live. So what they were doing was saying, we may lose all the forest elephants in Central and West Africa, but we will more than make up for it by the increase in savannah elephants in Eastern and Southern Africa. And to me, that was uh, a very, very unfortunate conclusion. Now that they've looked at the forest elephant as a distinctive species, they've classified it as critically endangered. And it is one step shy of extinction. That's as, as critical a status as you can get without be, becoming extinct. 70% of the surviving forest elephants are outside of protected regions. 
So they're not even given nominal protection uh, in, in the remaining range. And the population decline has been estimated to be probably more than 80% at this point. The situation is not quite hopeless, but the decline that they list, as they say, is likely to be irreversible. So what I'm really hoping is that now the focus of conservation agencies will be protecting these remaining forest elephants, maybe finding a way to protect the 70% of the population that's unprotected, recognizing its ecological role, recognizing its role in conserving plant species, because these elephants are uh, a keystone species. They play a central role in the ecosystem. They eat seeds and they uh, cause the germination of seeds. There's a lot of plants that have co-evolved with the forest elephant over the millions of years that they've been there. And these plants rely on forest elephants to um, germinate and disperse their seeds. So all of these factors are sort of uh, very important in focusing conservation on, on the African forest elephant. Back to Kathleen Gubbish. How serious are these new classifications? Critically endangered and endangered are we facing the possibility of losing African elephants within our lifetimes? Going from vulnerable to now endangered and critically endangered shows a much higher risk of extinction. And these are slow reproducing animals, so they can't rebound that fast. I guess it depends on how old you are, if they're going to go extinct in our lifetime. For other seven-year-olds out there, like when I was a seven-year-old, you know, that could be a possibility. And it, it's worth paying attention to and caring about and, and putting our combined efforts towards improving. Dr. Kathleen Gobush, thank you very much. Thank you, Patrick. Thanks for your time. Thanks again to Kathleen Gobush and Alfred Rocker. And thanks to Odzala Kakua National Park Jane Wynyard, Jenna Parker and Save the Elephants for providing the wonderful sounds you've heard in this episode of Elephants. If you've got a story you'd like us to explore on the podcast, please do email us on scienceweekly at theguardian.com. We're back on Thursday. Stay safe and see you then. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.